Uh, this morning we have a, a guest speaker. Ron Dozler is was our first youth pastor. We have had a lot of good times together. I'm sure we're going to have some more. Um, we've been on the mission field together. Uh, he, is, he has no fear of heights. Uh, he, <laughs> The higher and the, the more rickety the ladder, the better. Uh, he and his wife, Wendy, are here. How many kids do you guys have? Like 17? Oh, five? Okay. And uh, they are in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. We're really blessed to have them here this morning. So come on up, Ron. Well, as Bill said, my name is Ron Dozler. I uh, was born and raised here in, in Napa, California, along with my beautiful helpmate wife. Uh, we both uh, went to Redwood uh, middle school, um, and then I went to Napa High, and last night was my 30th uh, reunion. I know it's shocking, I look so young. How is that possible? Uh, so we're just here for a couple of days, and really blessed to be here with you guys. Uh, blessed that uh, Rob was uh, um, allowing me to speak with you. It's always a privilege to fill another man's pulpit. Uh, and it's very exciting to be in Calvary Chapel, Napa uh, once again. So uh, my history of this church and Calvary Chapel as a whole goes back a long time. Uh, my heritage and as a pastor uh, is all Calvary Chapel. So came out of the Southern Baptist Church and then into a Calvary Chapel, uh, Napa, a long time ago when I was young, and that's all I know. I, I did the stupid 20s. So I walked away from the Lord, and, uh, but the Lord brought me back in. And really through the blessing of, of Bill Walden and, and Debbie and just a, an amazing church family uh, that God used uh, not only my life but my wife to be on staff here for six years. And then uh, 18 years ago we planted the church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We have five children 18 to 12, please pray for that. <laughs> as well as just new steps of faith that we're doing in our own church. We own a radio station in Myrtle Beach. Uh, we are the only locally owned Christian radio station in Myrtle Beach. Uh, and so that, that's a huge ministry. And apparently um, I'm not to rest a lot because we're in the process of buying 73 acres four hours away to build a youth camp and an adult retreat center and we are right in the process of doing that and I'd love for you to pray about that with us and if you'd like to just see that or even donate to that uh, you can go to our website uh, ccmyrtlebeach.com so with that let's have some fun and let's open up to the book of second kings yes that's a book in the bible it's in the old testament Second Kings chapter 18, as I say with our church, working our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Second Kings 18, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Now he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. Note with me that he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. And he removed the high places, and he broke the sacred pillars down. He cut down the wooden images, and he broke into pieces the serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the children of Israel burnt incense on it and called it Nehushtan. Now he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah that were before him. For he held fast to the Lord, and he did not depart from following him, but he kept his commandments which the Lord God had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, verse 7, and he prospered him wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he did not serve him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day to gather in the house of the Lord, Lord, to just come alongside of each other to encourage and to strengthen. Lord, excited to see what You're doing here in this ministry, in this church, to continue the work. 
We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we ask that you'd bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, that the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Have you ever thought right now in the time in which we are living, 2019, that it just seems really bleak? Or am I the only one? That it's dark, it's oppressive, that you kind of think, Lord, you know when Jesus said, when I return, will I find any that are following me? And it seems the time in which we live in is quite dark, and, and you wonder, Lord, are we going to get to the next generation? Well, as we will see, this period of time in the southern tribe of Judah and the northern tribe of Israel is really the time in which we are living in today. In 2019, being able to open up God's Word and find exactly where the people are, of the United States of America, in Napa, California, in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Where are we? Well, this is a perfect place where we are. And I want to give you a little uh, history of what's going on uh, and during this time so you have a better idea of the context of what's happening because everything in the Bible is context. And so cults and all these problems happen because they take the Bible out of context. Right now, as we saw Hezekiah is the king, but his father was Ahaz. Ahaz was one of the wicked, the most wicked uh, southern king of Israel uh, that, well, that the southern tribe ever had. We're going to see Manasseh, a couple of generations after him, will be wicked as well. But Ahaz, he topped it. And during the time of Ahaz, we had government-sponsored sin. You know what that means? I know this is shocking. Politicians publicly allowing and promoting sin. There was a, there was a lack of holiness. There was a lack of set-apartness to the things of the world. And immorality was run rampant. And we're going to see not only inside of the temple was there problems, but all around Israel there were problems. There was great immorality and it seems like it was such a dark time in God's people's, not only the temple, but in their own land. And it seemed quite bleak. And in the midst of all of that, Hezekiah comes to the scene. Verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, and that's just fun to say. Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah the son of Ahaz began to reign. Again, Hezekiah was one of the few kings, as we will see, who removed the high places, removed items of tradition, and he brought the worship back to the temple. He restored the worship. He said, it's no longer okay for you to worship on the outside, but to come inside and to worship. Hezekiah brought great reform inside of God's people. Note with me in verse 2 how old he is. He was 25 years old when he began, uh, began, uh, became king, sorry, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. Now, if you're a little older like I am, I'm not yet 50, I turned 49 uh, this year, but you look at what's following us, the generations, be it the millennials or whatever, and you say, is there any hope? Am I the only one? Maybe you're a millennial and you're like, is there any hope? Now think about this. Let's put this all into context. We've got um, a nation that is literally promoting wickedness. Everything's allowed, be it from drugs, like our society. We haven't got to that point yet in South Carolina. Uh, but here, right, it's becoming more and more free uh, for you to do whatever you want to do. The government doesn't really uh, say anything. They just want your taxes from it. 
but they're really in the business of promoting everything anti-God. And it's been that way for a long time in our nation. And I, I don't know about you, but I often marvel when a tragedy happens in, in our country, be it a school shooting or something, and then the politicians get up and they say, how could this be? Well, you kicked God out of the schools in 1960, and you're teaching evolution, so what do you expect them to do? I don't expect anything great. Well, here comes Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is 25 years old. We're going to see that he is going to stand up in the midst of his generation and do something that not a whole lot of 25-year-olds are doing in his day. He was 25 years old. Again, he steps on the scene. He takes over from his father that was wicked. The nation was filled with idolatry, with immoral practices. Yet in the midst of that, a 25-year-old man stands up in his wicked generation and he decides to follow the Lord God. He decides to do what was right. He decided to follow the ways of his father David. And, and that's a, a, a nice way of saying that he, he did exactly what David did in his life. Now, listen, David was one of the greatest kings of Israel, but he did some stupid stuff, right? We're going to see that Hezekiah is a great king and then the next chapter he does something really stupid, which I love. I don't know about you, but I love the disciples, especially Peter, because you read them and he does wonderful things and then he does something really dumb and you're like, well, if God used him, he could use me. Well, Hezekiah is like that too. He did wonderful things for the Lord. Listen, but it took real courage and a true love of God for this young man to stand up in the midst of his generation, to take a stand and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That wasn't popular in, in Hezekiah's day. So too today. Guys, if you're a little older like I am, how are we going to reach this next generation? How are we going to help them in the ways of the Lord? We're going to see that Hezekiah had something really amazing or specifically a person in his life and his name was Isaiah. Now how about that for a mentor? Well, we're a little ahead of ourselves. Verse 3 says, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to, notice, all that his father had, David had done. And then it starts to tell us about his reforms that he removed the high places and he broke down the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden images and he broke into pieces the serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burnt incense on it and called it Nehushtan. We're going to see now what Hezekiah's life looked like during his reform. And the first thing that he did is that he removed the high places. Now, if you're taking note, this applies in two different ways. When the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, talks about the high places, it refers to two things. Number one, it refers to the pagan worship centers, totally forbidden by God. They were centers of worshiping false idols. And they would usually have them on the hills. And when you read the Old Testament, you'll talk about the high places or the, the green places or the areas of the trees. And for the most part, those were pagan areas of worship. But here's the second thing. The high places were also a place of worship to the, to the God of Israel. They were set up as convenient stations to worship rather than going to the temple. These were popular altars for sacrifice set up as the worshipers desired, not according to God's direction, but they wanted to worship God in their own convenience. Are you ready to apply it to 2019? Now listen, we live stream every service that we have. We're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we post, we do all that thing. But I started to ask myself, have we gone too far to make it convenient? How about you, but as a pastor, I'm always asking myself, why are we doing these things? And as we'll see, looking at tradition and, and seeing, 
is this really appropriate for us? Or have we gone too much uh, to the way of society? And again, there's nothing wrong with live stream in a service because uh, for us in Myrtle Beach, we have a lot of people uh, that are uh, elderly as well, fixed income and all that, and so uh, be it a, a illness and they're able to watch us live, and that's a great blessing for them to be a part of the service. But I ask you, like in the winter time, how nice is that comfy bed? And it's warm. And then you think to yourself, ah, we'll just stay in bed in the pajamas and we'll watch Pastor Ron live stream. You see, sometimes we've made it a little too convenient. And this is what I love. Hezekiah says, I'm going to take all of that away and I'm going to force everybody to go to the temple because that's what God had prescribed. There's a reason why we gather together as the body of Christ. There's a reason why God wants His people together so that you are to be a blessing. How many of you know who Gail Irwin is? Right? Uh, I can't remember if Gail has ever been here or not, but I think he has. Um, Gail Irwin um, has this point that he loves to make. You see, in the body of Christ, we often feel that when we come to church, it's the pastor's responsibility to bless it, bless you, right? So you, you come into church, and especially today in 2019, we think, okay, pastor, you have 30 minutes, now bless me. And if you don't do it, there'll be a church down the street and they'll bless me too. And here's Gail's point. Do you think like that or do you think, who can I bless today? So when I come together as the body of Christ, are, would you please do me this favor and stop thinking it's all about you? I know that's shocking in this generation. It's not about you. It's about others. To be other-centered. The Jesus style of ministry. To serve one another. And we have become a body of believers that look for every opportunity for someone to serve us. But when you come into service and say, who can I bless today? Wouldn't that be wonderful if all of us thought that? Well, pastor, you don't know what my week is. Yes, but when you serve somebody else, man, it does something wonderful. Now, let's go down this other path. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, listen, I, I don't want to come to service today. I've been wrecked by the, by the enemy all week. I've got five kids. I've got hurricanes coming in. Well, you, you all don't. We do. Earthquakes, fires, all of that. I just want to stay at home. Or you have a midweek service and I've worked all week, I'm real tired. I don't really want to go to midweek service. And you kind of fight there for a while, it's a little spiritual battle. But then you come to service and you're totally blessed. You see, the enemy doesn't want you to gather together. Ready for it? He wants you to worship on the high places. Oh, he, he provides a place for you to worship. But it's not where where you're supposed to be. How does that apply to us as the church? I have no idea. Let's just check, as we'll see here in a minute with tradition. Am I like King Hezekiah? Am I going to do everything that I can to stand out in my generation and, and make a difference? and go out of my way to worship the true and the living God. The other thing that he did in this verse, it says that he broke into pieces the bronze servant that Moses had made. And this is from Numbers chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. You can read that on your own. It's a wonderful section. It describes how during the time of plague that the fiery serpents came upon the entire nation. And the Lord had told Moses to make a bronze servant for the nation to look upon to be spared when the snakes bit them. So you got, you got to check out this scene. I love this. So there's a plague going in the children of Israel. God tell, tells Moses to make this pole, put a bronze serpent around it, and just put it into the center of the camp. Well, now what? Well, those who look on it will be healed. You ever read that and you go, man, 
I mean, it's, it's great, but it kind of doesn't make any sense. What do we tell people? Look to the cross. It's right behind me, isn't it? And you can be healed. And they go, oh, you can't do that. It's way too simple. You mean just believe in Jesus upon the cross and you'll be healed? Exactly. And what God was doing back in the day of Moses was giving us a foreshadow and a preview of what Jesus would do upon the cross. And that if we would look to Him, we would be healed of that deadly bite of sin and of death. It's wonderful, isn't it? It was a great example of what God was going to do. But, like everything else, the children of Israel, as we're going to see, they took that, that which God had set out just for one purpose and one time, and they've kept it for 800 years as a tradition. Well, inside of the church, we have to be very careful. God's people must guard against idolatry today. I want to give you a couple of examples of idolatry in, uh, in the church today that we need to be careful. Number one is making leaders idols. Making leaders into a cult of personality. Making a leader greater than he is. Putting him on a pedestal. And what happens when you put a leader on, the, on a pedestal and then he acts human? I don't know about you, but I'm human. Ask my wife, my kids, our church. I live in Myrtle Beach, and 17 million people come to Myrtle Beach each year. It's the second largest tourist attraction on the East Coast. We laugh because here in Napa you get about 2 million, and we just laugh at that now compared to where we are. And in the summertime, the tourists come and it's really hard to drive on this road called 501 and I tell people all the time listen I'm a you know wonderful pastor serving but when I got get on that road my humanity comes out what do you do when the pastor maybe falls well for a lot of people they leave the church and they blame God well, that's your fault because you lifted up a man to a position that he ought not be. We can make a, a tradition of making uh, leaders into idols. How about this one? Making education an idol. Through the years of ministry, I've been in ministry now about 22 years, and I do not have a degree. I know some of you are shocked by that. Uh, I make up words all the time. Uh, I invent words. My church loves this. They'll write them down and they'll come back and say, that was a wonderful word you made up. Um, but people are really stumbled that I don't have a degree. Wait a minute, you don't have letters after your name. And I can only sit under somebody who has letters after their name. And we can get really... Um, offended by somebody just specifically like me who was trained in the school of Peter, James, and John. Making education an idol. How about making human eloquence or how well the speaker speaks? We have politicians that know how to uh, deliver great speeches. Terrible policy, but great speeches. I remember a couple of elections ago, Asking people, hey, why are you voting for that person? Well, they're very dynamic and they make a great speech. Do you know anything about them? No. Do you know anything about their policies? No. But they can speak really well. Inside of the churches, there are men in pulpits that they can, they can wow you with their brilliance of how they bring five points with five S's. And each point has an S or a P. And they, they've worked real hard at that. I don't know about you, but I, I'm a through-the-Bible teacher. And it is my opinion, my humble opinion, that topically teaching uh, it can be very dangerous inside of a church. Because you need to know, as Paul told us pastors, to take you through the entire 
Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. At our church in Myrtle Beach, in 18 years, this is our third time through the Bible, right now. Um, and we're about halfway through that. It's, it took me seven, six and a half, seven years to take our church through the Bible the first time. My job is not to entertain you. And I think what happens with topically teaching is it shows you how much of the brilliance or the so-called brilliance of a man is, look how he created this message and put it all together. I love taking people through the Bible. Why? Because you know exactly where I am next week, the week after, and it, it allows the pastor to stay in God's Word and to stay into context. How about making customs and habits of ministry an idol? How about this one? We've always done it this way. I don't know if Vince remembers this, but we were at Calvary Baptist um, Cornerstone Ministries a long time ago at one of the churches, and we were in an elder meeting with the other church. Bill and I were there. I um, Paul, I don't, know, I don't know if you were there. We were in this meeting, both of our leadership. I was just sitting there, um, younger guy in, in ministry and kind of gleaning, and they were talking about kind of what they were doing. And I can't remember which one of us said, but that's not in the Bible. And they said, yeah, but we've always done it that way. And I thought, well, that's why your church is dying. Because you've always done that way but it's not necessarily biblical. Tradition. Tradition. If you don't know what that is, that fiddler on the roof, Google that, you'll know what I'm talking about. We can make customs and habit of ministry an idol. And for me, it's questioning why are we doing what we are doing in ministry? Is this this productive? Listen, you're in chairs right now. Hallelujah. You were in pews last year, I I believe. There's nothing wrong with changing things. And so that... You ready for this? How many of you are sitting in the same seat you sit in every week? Right? Okay? Stop it and go over to another seat and see what happens. See what the view looks like. On on, uh, last Wednesday night, I had a, a guy... His name's Gil, and his family sit right there every week. So I know where he is. And then on Wednesday night, he was over here, and I thought it was a partial rapture. (laughs) He's over here. Threw me totally off. But we can get into that. How many of you have come into church, someone sitting in your seat? Oh, I, I don't know about you, Pastor, but I can't have that. We get into ruts and tradition and we need to ask ourselves, why are we doing what we are doing? Is it biblical? Is it right? Lastly, making forms of worship an idol. Worship can be an idol. The style of music. This may be a shocker for you, but at Calvary Chapel Myrtle Beach, we do not have a band. We have video worship. Had that for almost seven years. Because for whatever reason, well, in our town in Myrtle Beach, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a gig town. There are a lot of theaters and a lot of professional musicians. And the churches hire unbelievers to play in their worship bands. And it's a big production. It's like Nashville on the East Coast for us. And I have had a lot of problems with worship leaders as a pastor. I had one worship leader tell me he was much more spiritual than I was. Okay. I had one, I asked him, listen, if um, you didn't play worship, would you come to the church? And he said, no. I said, you're done. So we have video worship. Now what would that be like if you walked into our church? Oh, Actually, I had a guy post on Google review that um, he wasn't, he didn't feel, I'm trying to remember this exactly, he didn't feel that the Spirit was there because we didn't have a band. You see, we can worship styles of music or styles of whatever. If a hymn was thrown in, would you freak out? 
or if the, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've always loved to worship it here at uh, Cornerstone and in Calvary Chapel. Uh, Bill Walden's heart for worship, it's just wonderful. That, that's all I know. But I, we also have to be careful about worshiping that and allowing, allowing to, the Lord to just work as well. But then it tells us here too, and it says that he broke down uh, the bronze servant and he called it Nehushtan. Can I ask you today, do you have a bronze serpent in your life right now that you need to break down? Do you have something in your life that you're, you're holding on to? It's a tradition. And for just like the children of Israel, for 800 years they've been worshiping this. And it took a 25-year-old man to come in and say, we ain't having that no more. It's not biblical. We're taking it out. What would you do? We're taking the pews out. Oh, Don't take my pews out. How flexible are you with worshiping the Lord? How flexible are we in the things of the Lord? Well, it took a 25-year-old man to do that. And let's see what his character looked like in verse 5 through 7. Number one, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him there were none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were before him. Again, Hezekiah was unique in his passion and his energy and his trust and his personal relationship with God. He promoted the true worship of God. This is even more remarkable when we know his father, Ahaz, again. But the way Hezekiah was, was because of a man like Isaiah. Can you imagine having Isaiah as your mentor? As your teacher? The great Isaiah? Okay, let's apply it, seasoned citizens. How is this next generation going to be raised up? How are they going to take over the church when Isaiahs start coming alongside of the Hezekiahs? You're sitting here, you're 25, you're under 30, you're Hezekiah today. If you're over that, you're Isaiah. Titus 2 is still an applicable chapter in the life of believers. Titus 2 is calling the older men inside of the church to come alongside the younger men. And I don't know about you, but as a man in 2019, uh, we need to teach young men how to be men. They need to know how to be men. One of the goals up at uh, the retreat center that we're about to build is to teach young boys to be men. What it's like to cut wood. Use a chainsaw. Use a bow and arrow. Or a rifle. Teaching them to be young men. Teaching the women to be young women in the Lord. Showing them the right way. We, we have a world today that it's all blurred. And there's no distinctive between male and female. But I have read the Bible. God made them male and female. I don't know about you, if you're married, you know that. That there's a difference. God did that for a reason. So that the two would become one flesh. And they complement each other. I would not be able to do what I do, the traveling that I, be, uh, that I do, and the speaking and the ministry without my helpmate. It would be impossible for me to do. And so, as this generation is being raised up in a wicked world that is filled with everything at their heart's desire, at the swipe of their app, where is the Isaiahs in their life? I implore you, Calvary Chapel Napa, to start getting involved with the younger generation in one way or another. However, I love the fact that you are also ministering to the older people that still need Jesus. And that's very important as well. Wonderful ministry. In fact, our church, we, we are in probably five or six uh, retirement homes 
Um, and we have actually a, a huge senior ministry out of our church. It's, it's vitally important. But, <laughs> I don't mean to say it like that, but the older group, we're all going to die. Have you seen the statistics lately? Ten out, of pe- <laughs> ten out of ten people die. I don't know if you figured that out. But unless you and I get raptured, we're all going to die. And what are we doing to help the next generation? What are we doing to help Hezekiah? Maybe there's Hezekiahs right now in this church. But they're not Hezekiah yet because an Isaiah hasn't come alongside of them. You know, guys, what's tragic for me about abortion is knowing how many... um, scientists or medical profession or wonderful, good, godly men and women this world has wiped out. And again, if that has been in your past, God's forgiveness for you and love He wants to pour upon you, it's wonderful. But I also think, too, inside of the church, how many Hezekiahs have we lost because some Isaiahs didn't want to be bothered with coming alongside someone young. Have you thought of it like that? You know, the church complains a lot about the youth, but they don't give the youth opportunity to be the youth and to be raised up like Hezekiah. That's why for me and for Myrtle Beach, and it, it, it was a desire for me when we first... <laughs> I like to say, when we first landed, I felt like Columbus, in Myrtle Beach, that we, we wanted to have some kind of Bible college or retreat center, and that has uh, laid dormant for 17 years. I have no idea why. And then my wife and I take the youth up, and <laughs> I'm not the youth pastor. Our youth pastor couldn't go on the trip, and the last couple of years my wife has, and I have had to do that, take the youth up to camp. And here we are, we go up to a camp uh, in Virginia, and the camp two weeks later closes. And now there's no Calvary Chapel retreat youth camp on the East Coast. And why did God have my wife and I go that week? So that that which was dormant in me for 17 years would be reignited. And there is a real hunger to pour into these kids. And this is what we say, our our retreat center is Arrowwood Retreat Center. And it's youth serving youth. That's the most exciting thing you'll ever see. Youth serving youth. Ministry. But we need to make sure that we give them the opportunity to do that. Do you see that? And here's the reality, older people. We have the funds to do that. They don't. So you have to give to the work of that. Again, we complain all of the time that there's nothing for the youth. But have you donated to that work? Have you given of your time? Well, no. Well, why are you complaining? Can I tell you one of my pet peeves? I have a long list of them. But we ain't got time for that. One of them is people who complain about the situation in our country as far as politics and never vote. You don't get to complain. If you vote, okay then you're part of the process. But if you don't, I don't want to talk to you in the church. Well, what about these kids? Are you doing anything about it? Are you Isaiah? Do you care? (laughs) Maybe you don't. Maybe you're happy just to go to heaven. But you know what? The reality is, and it could very well be that Jesus is coming very soon. I'm in 1 Thessalonians right now. Uh, on, a, on Wednesday night, teaching uh, end times, the end of days, the rapture of the church, and we see all of these players. How about you? But right now, get very excited of what's going on in Turkey right now. The fact the United States pulled out, and then now Russia and Syria are doing a little dance around, that's very exciting. Why, that falls into line with Ezekiel 38 and 39. Oh, exciting times! But what if it calmed again and we go another hundred years? Well, you'll be dead, I'll be dead. But where will the church be? 
You see, it's very important for us to be like Isaiah and and to pour into. So Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel, let me paraphrase, because Isaiah was in his life teaching him the right things. Pouring into this young man. Spending time with him. Teaching him the Word of God. As the youth pastor here, I taught the youth just like I teach you here. Actually, I learned to teach through the Bible through the youth group. I took them through the Bible. I never watered it down. I never dumbed it down because, sadly, so many do that. Here, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Note with me what the Bible says. So that after him... None was like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were there before him. That word none in the Hebrew means none. Isn't that exciting to know that this young man, almost greater than David, and even what's coming after him is Josiah. Josiah doing great reforms after Manasseh. And yet, hear Hezekiah. So he trusted in the Lord. Verse 6. We're we're coming to the end. He held fast to the Lord. So number one, he trusted in the Lord. And number two, he held fast. And to hold fast is a military term. How about you? But I, I, I love any kind of documentary about any kind of war. I just love it. What I would rather have... This is one of those beautiful days for me. Raining, outside, inside, pajamas, don't freak out, war movie documentary on. Love it, right? So here is this scene of him holding fast. Well, the Romans were such a a powerful army because of the weapons that they had. The Romans had this double-edged sword that the world had never seen. It wasn't long like the English long swords, right? That, man, I don't know how those guys swung those things around with all of the armor on. But the Roman soldier had a double-edged sword that was roughly around two foot, even a little bit longer. But he could use that to stab, and because it was double-edged, he could do a lot of damage. The other thing that the Roman soldier had was that he had cleats on his shoes. No one had had this before. And what they were able to do is the Roman would able to dig in to the battle and he wouldn't be able to move. This is where we get this idea of holding fast, not to be moved. And for our purposes, not to be moved by the things of the world. I could care less what society says, what society does, what the church down the street does. What does God, God's Word say? That's how I live my life. I do not live it by what Google or Apple or Oprah or anybody else says. What does God's Word say? It tells me to hold fast. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in the beginning of that, before that rapture section, Paul is telling the church to be set apart, to be sanctified. Don't look like the world. Whatever the world is doing, this is my my philosophy, whatever the world is doing, I don't want to do. If the world is dressing like that or talking like that, I don't want to do that. Obviously, you could see I'm a snappy dresser. (laughs) Hawaiian shirt, yes, right? I thought I'd be a little classy and put a jacket on for you. But we bring this junk into the church. And we think, while the world is doing it, we should do that because we want to bring in more people. Wrong. People want to walk in and they want to see that you and I are different. They don't want to walk into an infomercial. They they don't want to rock into a rock concert. They can go and do that anywhere. What they want to come in and hear is hear hope. Do you have the truth? Do you know what you're talking about? Can I come and be comforted? That's what the church should look like. Notice with me in verse 6, hold fast. Don't be like the world. Hold fast to the Lord. And do not depart from following Him, but keep His commandments which the Lord God had commanded Moses. So, 
He held fast and he did not depart. He did not walk away. Sadly, Paul the Apostle tells us, before the coming of Jesus Christ for the church, there will be the apostate, the walking away from. And what's tragic is that that means that those who knew it once walked in the ways of the Lord have decided to walk away. They no longer hold fast to it and they no longer are wanting those things of the Lord. And, and Paul would call them out by name. He would say, this guy left to go to the world, this guy did this, but only Luke is with me. You know, I don't know about you, but do you ever think like, uh, Paul, uh, why do you keep saying it like that? Only Luke, right? Luke stood with Paul. He stood fast with Paul. Lastly, in that verse, he kept his commandments which the Lord God had commanded Moses. When the kings came onto the throne, they had to write a copy of the law. Every one of them had to sit down and write the first five books of the law so that they would know what God was speaking to them specifically. How much of, of the church, and I, I, I'm not apologetic at all, are not keeping the commandments. They're not reading. They're not teaching the Bible. There, there are churches that, especially in my area, tell people not to bring their Bibles because it might be offensive to the person coming to the church who doesn't have a Bible. Now, are you ready for this? Why don't you give that person a Bible and then they won't feel weird? Amen. Amen. Why is it always the minority that's pushing the majority? We're kind of backwards today well we'll just put the words on the screen no don't do that oh you might be able to put a reference up there I know Pastor Sandy Adams does that a lot as he's teaching he'll put put the verse up there nothing wrong with that but listen I don't know about you but I love that people have their Bibles open that they're highlighting that they're making notes um, I have an iPad <laughs> However, I have notes inside of that. Let me show you how cool that is. See, my notes will pop right up. I can highlight too. It's, it's no different. But it's important for you to know your own journey through God through His Word. How many of you have an old Bible and you have notes in it from 20, 30 years ago? And then you read that and you go, what was going on back there in my life? And why does it say Pastor Ron on there? <laughs> That's terrifying. Notice he didn't depart from following the Lord or keeping His commandments inside of the church. The reason why we have the problems that we have is because churches and pastors are not teaching the Word of God. They don't believe that it's inerrant without error. The seminaries teach unbelievable ungodliness. There are people going to seminaries, or I like to say cemeteries, where their professors aren't even saved. And they're teaching these guys. Then they come out, and you wonder why they're doing what they're doing. Well, they haven't been taught the commandments of the Lord. They themselves have never gone through the Bible. How many of you know who Martin Luther is? Okay, good. Reformer. Not my favorite guy in all of church history, but there's a few things that I liked about him. In the beginning of Martin Luther's life, at one point his spiritual, I'm going to do this quote, father, uh, a mentor in his life, asked him this question. And he said, Martin, have you ever read the Gospels? Now Martin Luther had been a priest for a long time up to this, and he said no. Can you imagine having a priest not ever reading the Gospels? And his spiritual mentor told him, Martin, you go read the Gospels. Align yourself with Christ. Come to know who He is. And that started to change who He was. Then he read Galatians and it changed him even more. Is the church keeping the commandments of God? Is the Word of God the most important thing inside of the church? I hope that it would be. I hope that it would be in your life. In the beginning of Calvary Chapel, Myrtle Beach, when we planted, we had no worship at all. And I, uh, I would pray, turn around, 
start the tape, and you'll have to Google what a cassette tape is. I would hit record, and then I would teach. And you know what? The church grew. Why? Because I taught God's Word. And I allowed the Word not to return void. And I did exactly what God had commanded me as a senior pastor to do, which is teach all of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And what is the result, lastly, for us today in verse 7? It said, The Lord was with him, and he prospered him wherever he went. Pause. Now, when you read a, 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 a word like prosper, sorry, but in, in our wor- world right now, we think financial. That's just a normal thing. A prosper. I want to prosper. Don't you want to prosper? There are whole movements in the church to be healthy and wealthy. The prosperity movement, it's called. Oh, I want to prosper. But that's not what it means. It means it'll go well with you. You see, if you follow the Lord and if you're doing exactly what uh, Hezekiah is doing in his life, it'll go well with you. Does that mean that I won't ever have a flat tire or a wayward son or a daughter prodigal? Or not be fired? Oh yeah, but rather than looking at bad as it is a bad thing, saying, Lord, what are you going to do through it? Walking in and getting a diagnosis of whatever and saying, right on! Blow the doctor's mind right there. Doctor, can I pray with you right now? Rather than saying why, say why not? As followers of Jesus, Jesus said, you're not above the Master. If, if, if they... They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. In this life, you will have what, did Jesus say? Tribulations. I wish that wasn't in there, but it is. And James has counted all joy when you fall. I don't ever want to fall (laughs) to the trials of tribulation, but that's life. When you do, what are you going to do through that? The Lord was with him, and he prospered him wherever he went. Lastly, He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. This encompasses this life of Hezekiah. Guys, we have an enemy just like Hezekiah and Judah had. For them it was the Assyrian nation. It was the world powers at that time was the Egyptian nation. They came, they fall. The next one was the Assyrians. They came, they fall. The Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans. But at this time, the Assyrian power is overwhelming. Huge, right? They're based out of Nineveh, right? Remember Jonah? He had a whale of a time. That's all I got today. Nineveh. Assyria, huge dominant world power. Very oppressive, very cruel. And yet, because Hezekiah followed the Lord, because he trusted in Him, and because he held fast, because he loved God's Word, he did not and was not under the thumb of the Assyrians. In fact, he told them to go pound sand. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the Assyrians came and besieged Jerusalem. In the next chapter, you'll read that one little angel, Buck Private Bob Angel, goes out and wipes out 186,000 Assyrians in one night. Why is that all happening? Because of Hezekiah and his life. He allowed a man like Isaiah to come alongside of him, He allowed reforms to come because he wanted to get back to the Bible, back to the basics. We all often talk about getting back to the Old or to the New Testament believers. They were a wreck, by the way. Read the letters Corinthians, Colossians, Ephesians. They were real problems in the early church. But they trusted in the Lord. And they allowed someone like Paul, or for our purposes today, Isaiah to come alongside. My prayer for you and for this church is to serve the Lord in ways that you may have not thought of before. To be flexible. To say, listen, I really do care about the next generation. What can I do? Going to Pastor Rob and say, listen, 
What can I do? I, I love it when people come to me and say, Pastor Ron, you should start this, this ministry. And I say, absolutely not. You should. I think I've got too much on my plate right now. But maybe God's calling you. In our studies on Wednesday night, we have been through Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And through that section of Scripture, it's really powerful how God uses one individual, one, one individual, that God shows that one individual the need and the purpose to, to make change. One individual. Look around the room. How many one individuals are in this church that can start doing some real change? Well, I ain't got time for that. Yeah, we, we are all busy. But maybe it's high time for you to stand up and say, you know what? I've been walking with the Lord. I've been coming to Calvary Napa for a long time. Now it's my time to pour into the next generation. To be used by God. Allow yourself to be an Isaiah. To be a Titus 2 man. Titus 2 woman. Amen? And what you're going to see is God doing a great work in one individual Hezekiah's life who then may stand up in his generation and do some real change. And again, if, if Jesus tarries 50, 100 years, we want the church to continue and we need some strong young men and women to rise up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and I'm going to bring real reform into the generation. Because here's the difference. Let me read to you in the next chapter. Where did it go? Uh, that's not the next chapter. The next chapter, after uh, Manasseh, comes Amnon. Let me read his life. He was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done, and he walked in all the ways of his father had walked, he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers and he did not walk in the ways of the Lord. Two young men, both in their 20s. One says, this is what the culture is, I'm just going to go along with it. The other one says, I'm living in a culture of depravity and I'm going to stand up and make a difference. What do you want to be today? And I'm speaking to the under 30 crowd. What do you want to be today? Would you rather be Abnon or would you rather be Hezekiah? I encourage the older to be Isaiah and find somebody to come alongside to minister. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. And Lord, for this day that we can gather to be refreshed by your word, to be strengthened. Thank You, Lord, that we have the time, a place, Lord, for Pastor Rob's heart to stand up in the midst of this wicked generation, in the midst of a dark city, a dark state, oppression, Lord, from the enemy on every side. And that the followers of Jesus inside of this church would take a stand. They would hold fast to your word, not to be moved. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you give us to come alongside young men and women. Lord, that we would give up of our time to pour into this next generation who is looking for people to pour into them. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Hezekiah, for Isaiah, Lord, even Amnon, the wicked king. And today is the day, Lord, to make a choice. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and for the cross and for the empty tomb that you have conquered death on our behalf. And we pray as John prays, even so, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha, Lord. But if not, 
that, Lord, you would use us for your purposes and that we would be a blessing to others. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we ask that you continue to bless the work here at Calvary Chapel Napa. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.